Hi, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors at Victory and I'm also the director of our provincial churches. At Victory, we are committed to plant churches all over the Philippines, believing that together we can disciple this nation. Hope this message inspires you to honor God and make disciples. We are going to talk about Christmas today. Merry Christmas, everyone! Now, as I dive into it, yes, it's a Merry Christmas for us Filipino, fun-loving. In fact, our nation is so blessed culturally that with or without finances, we get to celebrate. We get to experience the merriness of the season. Unfortunately, there is a big Christmas deception. Big Christmas deception. As we speak on Christmas this morning, we'll talk about the bits and pieces of the Christmas deception that we have in culture and society today. Do you know that there are 10,000 songs on Christmas? And when we say Christmas, in its etymology, Christus masses. It's about Christ. Jesus Christ, mass, masses, meaning what he did on the cross. So Christmas is really about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, and yet out of all the 10,000 songs, Christmas songs, there's only 0.5% that is about Jesus. There is a deception. And we're going to look at it. Christmas today has become about Elsa, Anna, and Olaf. Jesus is nowhere to be found in the picture. That's why we're going to talk about Jesus today. Again, unfortunately, we have children today not having an inkling of Christmas. Why are we celebrating this? Who are we really celebrating? Open your Bibles to Matthew 2. We'll read verses 1 to 11. What did Jesus came to do? One of the kids answered, better life. You know, that's how the world sees it today. But Jesus came not just for us to have a better life. It was for eternal life. Let's all stand. Matthew 2, starting with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in the Bethlehem of Judah, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, and from you shall come a ruler 
who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Well, we all know that his intent was totally the opposite. Herod wanted to kill him. Verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. There were three gifts, not three kings, three gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. Let may we hear your voice and your voice alone, Lord God. Bless the preaching of your word. Lord, we stand here, all of us stand here before you in humility, asking that you would speak to us with you, O God. All these things we ask and declare in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please take your seats. <clears throat> We look at the story behind that nativity, nativity scene in your under, rather, your Christmas trees. There are some stories behind it, and we'll just ascertain what Christmas is really about this morning. There are certain words that we will focus on today. In fact, just the words, Bethlehem and behold, and we'll talk about the righteous response of Christians to Christmas. So are you ready to hear the word of God? First word, Bethlehem. Look, the gospel writer also spoke about Bethlehem, but Matthew camped on it because he was wanting to say something about the importance, meaning, and significance of Bethlehem. Yes, it is a small town, but just as the prophetic word was declared, written by the gospel writer, it is by no means least in the land of Judah because there is something in Bethlehem. Now, the author of the gospel wrote the gospel the account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ with the Jews in mind, the Jewish people, meaning they knew the Old Testament cover to cover. They under, it, it's not just information for them, it's culture and history for them. So again, the Old Testament is culture and history for the Jewish people. So the moment the gospel writer spoke about Bethlehem, there are many stories that would pop into their minds. I'll give you a sample first. In the Philippines, when I talk about, when I say the word Luneta, who's the person that would come into mind? Yes, of course. Ambilis, di ba? For them, when you say Bethlehem, immediately there is a couple that would come into mind. 
Because in the Old Testament, there's this short book, four chapters called Ruth in our day and time today. And it is a story of a man, a righteous man, single, debonair, wealthy financially, but he was right and righteous before God. And he could have married anyone. His name is Boaz and he is a man from Bethlehem. But somehow, somewhere, there is an amazing love story. If you want a love story for Christmas, read Ruth. That is a Christmas story. It is a fantastic love story. Ruth is not a Jewish person. Her husband, she's a Moabite. Her husband died. And being a widow, in their culture, in their society, at that time, if you were in her case, it's like Ruth, after her husband died, was already sort of like, you know, her life was 200 kilometers per hour on its way to misery. That's the trajectory of Ruth's life. It was literally, she was already stepping onto nothingness. That was Ruth. And then more so, she was a Gentile, meaning she's not a Jewish person. There's no one to rescue her. Now, because of circumstances and her decision, she went to Bethlehem. And then she realizes that this guy named Boaz is someone possibly, possibly, 0.00001% in that dating app, ang percentage lang, na mag-o-okay sila ni Boaz. But then again, God was in the picture. Because this righteous man from Bethlehem named Boaz, redeemed her from her situation. And it is a Christmas story because it is, for the Jewish people, a historical, cultural picture of God redeeming people. But Matthew now, going back to Matthew, when he said Bethlehem, he understood that the Jewish people would immediately associate Bethlehem to Boaz and Ruth the way you associated Luneta to Rizal. And they would, you know, somehow be able to imagine that wonderful love story. But Matthew was also intentional to the audience, the Jewish people. Because when he wrote this, he wanted to make a statement that Jesus Christ came. Christmas was possible. And Jesus Christ came not just for you. My dear Jewish people, he was saying that Jesus came for all. The Jews and the non-Jews, or what we call the Gentiles. Jesus came for all. He did not remain to be a powerless, cute little baby in a manger. We have to realize that that baby grew up, that baby became a man, and he died on the cross because he came for all. Jesus did the work of taking on the penalty for our sins. Unfortunately, during Christmas season, there's this deception that our nation, we are caught up, or maybe the whole world is caught up 
on, on, on thinking, am I naughty or am I nice? You know what I'm talking about. It's about our work during this season. I need to be nice so I can get this. It is this season thinking about our work. But truly and truthfully, Christmas is not about what we do or what we have done. Christmas is about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's why Christos Masses. Christ Masses. Communion. The Eucharist. Meaning remembering his death on the cross. Salvation. That is Christmas. We should not be deceived this season. In fact, this season, all of us, literally, all of us are on the go. But this is a season to stop. Because this is a season wherein God, I believe, is calling us. God is calling. In fact, the question begs now, will you answer? Or are we busy with parties? Will you answer? Or wait a minute, God, I need to make a grocery because I'll cook some food later on tonight. God, I'll answer you. Miss call muna. But later on, I'll call you back, God, when I find the time. But this is a perfect season to stop because God is calling. We have to stop. You know, the whole book of John, whole book of John, the gospel of John, I was recounting this, telling this, in the Christmas party of our prayer ministry. The whole book of John, one of its major, major themes is God, Jesus Christ calling people. And you will always find this word, come, come and see, come and see, the whole gospel. At the onset, come and see. At the end of the gospel, Jesus was telling the disciples, come and have breakfast. Because that is the message of Jesus Christ to us. This season, come. This is a season to stop. This is a season to think and realize who God has been to you this year. You know, in our family, we have many traditions during this holiday season, during the Christmas season. One of them is that we list down the things that we're thankful for. And we have this notebook that has been with us for, wow, more than 13 years already. And it's the same notebook that we pull out year after year after year after year. And we write down our faith goals, the things that we're thankful for. And we also write down who God has been to you this year. My question is to you, who God has been to you this year? Is God your healer? Did God restore something to you this year? Is God your protector this year? Who God is to you this year? Who, he, how has he been to you and with you this year? It's a perfect time to stop and take stock. 
In fact, I encourage you, write it down. Who God has been to you. Because this will lead us later on to the righteous response to Christmas. Who God has been to you next year? Who? Next, next question. What is God telling you for next year? When I say stop, literally stop. In fact, I want you to think of a stoplight when you stop. And when you ask the question, what is God telling you for next year? What are the things that God wants us to stop? Or yellow, maybe. What are the things that God wants us to slow down on? Or maybe it's a green. What are the things that God wants us to start doing? Or even do more of? Is it read the Bible and pray every day? You know, that, that, that sentence that we always teach the kids, read your Bible and pray every day. What is it? Stop, slow down on the things that God wants us to start. Bethlehem. Now, another word, behold. It was used twice in this section that we read, behold, there's so much meaning to it. Behold, wise men from the East. It has so much meaning. It's unfortunate I cannot dive on it today. But there are a lot of references of these words or phrase, behold, wise men from the East. But it, it points to a lot of literature, narratives, and stories in the Old Testament. When you say, behold, wise men for in the East, in a nutshell, it points to the Abraham story wherein God called him out of his comfort zone and told him, get into this promised land. I will bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Everyone who blesses you will be blessed. Everyone who curses you will be cursed. And then you, your family, or maybe someone in your family will be a blessing to the nations of the world. It has something to do with those words of God promised to Abraham that someone will come from the east, from the land of the rising sun, someone who will be a blessing to all nations and it was communicated to Abraham. It has something to do with Isaiah 9 when the Bible says that people who were walking in darkness have seen a great light and this is now this means of the arrival of the Messiah. So it wasn't just about Abraham, but it speaks that behold, wise men from the East has something to do with the arrival of not just any ordinary Tom, Dick, and Harry, but the arrival of the Lord God, Messiah, salvation, rescuer, redeemer of all his people. That Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it has something to do with the imagery of a king in Isaiah 11. All this to say that that phrase, behold wise men from the east, is something that was taken off by the gospel writer from the first sentence of the gospel. When he said, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. 
Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. The son of Abraham, the son of David. All these to say, all these to say, that the gospel writer was telling his peop the people then, the Jewish people then, that the promise in the Old Testament, the person that we have been waiting for starting with Genesis 3, that person in whom all the stories, the literature, the poetry, the songs, the, 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 the I mean, everything, the narratives in the Old Testament, the prophecies in the Old Testament is really about this one person. And when the book in Matthew opens, Matthew tells everyone that guy that has been spoken of in the Old Testament, he has come already. He is here. So I was, I was singing a while ago in, in, in the Spirit, salvation is here. It's talking about Jesus, salvation is here. Meaning God's promise was fulfilled already. That's the whole point. Christmas. God's promise was fulfilled. Meaning God's promise, the promise of God, when we say, God, fulfill your promise, wait, no, God already fulfilled His promise. It's the promise. And God's promise are not presents. It is a person. And it's the person of Jesus Christ. God's promise was fulfilled. I know when we pray, you'll pray for, this morning I was praying for you. Praying for increase. Praying for business opportunity. Some of you are asking God for work abroad. PR for some. Some of you are asking God for healing, restoration of relationships. Some of you are asking God for a brand new car, a brand new house, renovation for a house, multiple houses, increase in finances, a lot of prayers. And yes, by all means, please do pray. In fact, God is pleased with our faith. That's our petition. That's our plea. That's our prayer before God. Our dreams and aspirations, go ahead and dream big and believe God for great things. But when we say God's promise, God never promised a multi-billion business for you. God never promised a Ferrari for you. God never promised birdies, eagles, or even a hole-in-one for you. But God promised a person. And His promise was already given. Part of the Christmas deception is that during this season, people, we, including me, think about things that we do not have. Ah, there's more finances, right? Oh, what am I going to buy? Where am I going to invest? What stocks am I going to buy? Oh, what am I go? Where am I going to shop? What store? Who am I buying for? I mean, we think, we are thinking of things that we do not have yet. And it is a big cultural deception, mainly because Christmas is not about the things that we don't have. It is about someone in whom we already have, someone in whom was already given to us, someone in whom God's promise 
became a fulfillment in Jesus Christ. What does this mean for you and me? It simply means that we continue to believe God. Yes, for the things that we don't have, our prayers, petitions, and plea before God. Yes, go ahead. But never ever forget that Jesus Christ was already given and He is with us. If there is something that we need, it is already given by God through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit on the cross. It means that despite relational problems, God has already given us love in the cross. Love was, yes, declared, but it was given. We receive that love, so meaning even if we feel that there are people around us who seem to be so unlovable, guess what? Your mood, your countenance, your stress level is not dependent on the things around you. It's dependent on who in the gift that was already given to us. That's the picture of God. Jesus is with you. Despite the things that we don't have yet, guess what? We already have what we need. In fact, it's the most important of all. Salvation. God has already given it. You know, part of the cultural deception with this is the Santa Claus culture. Of course, we see Santa Claus as this guy. But you know, if you go back all the way to the 6th or the 4th century, Santa Claus is not this big, stocky guy in a red suit or cape. No, he's really a person in the name of Nicholas. Nicholas is a bishop in the early church at that time, 4th or 6th century. In fact, he was very generous to people. And he would give and give and give and give and give and give. And give. But then again, someone in the name of Arius questioned the deity of Jesus Christ. Meaning, this guy Arius said, Jesus is not God. He's just human. You know what Santa Claus did or Saint Nicholas did? It is this picture of him depicted. He slaps. He doesn't, he's not holding the face. The one on the left is Arius. The one in the middle is Nicholas. You know what he does? He slaps out of righteous indignation. Santa Claus slaps someone because he said Jesus is not God. This is Santa for us. One who is passionate over Jesus. And not just with the list. Oh, by the way, do you know that this has been the picture of Santa Claus? Although in modern day, by 1931, there is a drink company that said Santa Claus needs to be very happy. And Santa Claus needs to be fat and very jolly and would say, ho, ho, ho. And Santa Claus needs to be in a red suit. No wonder in 1931, a cola company made this picture of Santa Claus. 
I'm not kidding. Check it out. So this Santa Claus is really about this. Mm. One, of our, one of the directors of the Scola company approached me and said, do you know, Pastor, that just this year, the other cola company, the, not the happiness company, but the next generation company, the blue cola, finally there was a lawsuit that was made by the red cola to the blue cola because the blue cola was supposed to release this year a Santa Claus dressed in a blue cape. Yeah, but they lost that lawsuit. Why? Because Santa Claus belongs to happiness. Cheers, everyone. If God's promise was fulfilled in a person, the person is already given, it means he deserves the billing in all our celebration. It means that in your parties, in your gatherings, Jesus has to be mentioned somehow, some way. And this is, as Christians, our work, ladies and gentlemen. Church, I'm talking to you. Because no one, because it's so awkward, it's religious, it's weird, it's cliche-ish. It's, you know, it's yucky somehow to talk about Jesus during Christmas. But I am pleading and asking you as the church of Jesus Christ in your celebrations to speak of that name, Jesus. I kid you not. There is something so meaningful that will come up from that celebration just because you declared the name of Jesus. Talk about why are we celebrating Christmas. I'm not talking about a 30-minute preaching. I am just speaking of possibly a 30-second spiel. Think about it, practice it, baunin nyo, and be ready with it. Speak of Jesus because He is what we are celebrating. When you greet people, it's not happy holidays. Because that phrase seems to inch God and Jesus out of the picture. It is still Mary Christ Mass. This is what we're celebrating. We are recalling. And last, part of the emphasis of what we read is the righteous response. To Christmas. We read it right from the start of this passage. Even Herod pretended he wanted to do this, but we all knew or we all know that he wanted to do the opposite. But this is the righteous response to Christmas. It's worship. It's worship. Yes, when we say worship, Yes, I'm talking about words and songs that we sing. You know that Filipino song, Ang Pasko ay sumapit, tayo ay magsiawit. Oh yeah, that's perfect. That's worship. Worshiping God in singing or in song. But God is wanting another kind of worship as well. 
you know, the gospel starts with worship. In Matthew, we read it in Matthew 1, in Matthew 2 rather, from verses 7 to 11, worship, worship, worship. So yes, we respond in worship. The gospel of Matthew starts with worship. The gospel of Matthew ends in worship. But it is not just a worship of declaration or singing. No, it was another kind of worship that God was asking. It is in Matthew 28. When he said to people, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe, obey everything that I have commanded you. It is the worship that God is asking us. It is the worship of our lives fully devoted to Him. Which means whatever you do, you are a businessman, you're a medical professional, you're in the legal field, field you are an artist, you are a housewife, a student, and what have you. All these things that we do are venues for us. To worship God. Our families, friends, our communities, the organizations that we're part of, these are venues to worship God with our lives. Meaning when people see us and how we live our lives, when people see us in our marriages, when people see the way we raise our children, they will not look to us, but they will say, Totoo nga, my Dios. It's a worship. Worship with our lives. But let me also end this by saying, even all of us as a church, we're worshiping God together through the work that God is doing in and through us. This is the work. We're very thankful. You are very much a part of this in so many ways. In prayer, in your giving, and in your actual labor of preaching the gospel, this is all our work. As a church, we're worshiping God as well. Thank you for joining us. You can visit victory.org.ph to find a church, join the Victory Group, and give online. Thank you for partnering with us in discipling the city, the nation, and the world through your generosity. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.